I, I want to take us to James chapter 4, verses 13 through to 17. This is going to be our text for, for today. James chapter 4, 13 through to 17. You love your Bible? Yeah. All right. James says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Come on, how many of you know that's a true statement right there? Like, if you've ever wondered if the Bible is true or not, like, it just proved it right there. Because it told us exactly what we're like, yeah, duh, right? We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asked this question. This is a pointed question, and I think one that's really important for us to wrestle with. Uh, for all the existential thinkers in, in the room right now, what is your life? Right, remember the college days? What is life, bro? <laughs> What is your life? And then he says this, and this is a, this is a very sober-minded statement. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a little bit of time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. That just levels it all of a sudden. So today, as we continue on in our series, The Other Side of Heaven, I want to speak to you from the subject, Capturing a Cloud. Capturing a Cloud as we deal with the purpose of God for our lives, His will and His design for us. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that as we've come together and we've worshipped and we've communed over coffee, <laughs> we've exchanged in fellowship, we now come to your word, your spoken word, your declared word. And we know that where your word is spoken and declared, because it's truth, it sets us free. And so God, right now, I ask that you would do that in this place right now, that once again, that you would just shine the light your light under the dark places of our lives, that you would speak to us right now so that we would hear from you and that our lives would be changed and transformed. We give this time to you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Everybody shouted. Amen. So we were flying a couple, uh, a couple months back with our kiddos, a month back uh, with our kiddos to, um, to get to a conference that we were a part of. And one of my kiddos asked this question uh, as we were flying through, like down through the clouds. When you fly into Seattle, there's clouds, right? Uh, all the time. Um, so, but we were flying through the clouds and, and one of my kids asked this question to me and, and it fascinated me as they asked the question because I was ignoring the conversation that they were wanting me to get into because I was thinking about this message right here when the question was asked and they asked me this question, Dad, can you capture a cloud? To which I'm not a scientist, Newsflash. <laughs> and so I had to wrestle through the question a little bit, and I, and I was thinking to myself, like, okay, can you capture a cloud? And then I, like, started going down that path. You've ever been there before? Sitting on an airplane, you're like, I wonder if I could put a cloud in a jar? <laughs> that would be rad, but then how, how would that work? Would I have to, like, could I do that while skydiving? Because I vowed that I would never skydive, because why jump out of a perfectly good airplane? That's my, <laughs> that's my theory. So I told her, no, uh-uh, because... There's no reason to. <laughs> She's like, uh-uh, I don't like that answer. Can you capture a cloud? So I started thinking about it. So I did some research this week um, to see if it was possible 
to capture a cloud. Come on, somebody. That's just a, that's a recipe for a good time, okay? And you can, in fact, capture a cloud in a nano, like, like for a very short amount of time. Because it, end up, it ends up evaporating and just turns into water condensation on the inside of a jar, if you ever needed to know, okay? There, there you go. Just so you know, you learned Bible and science today really quick. Phil Nye the science guy, right? So, um, so you can, in fact, capture a cloud, but as James says, it's here one moment and gone the next. With just a little residue left over. James, in this conversation that he's having is trying to deal with humanity's propensity to try to order and control our lives. He tells us that our life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's here one moment and and gone the next. And I want to submit to us today that the reason that many of us are frustrated, the, the reason that many of us carry so much anxiety and fear and all the things that we're going through is because we are caught in this everyday battle of trying to capture the cloud that is our life. And so we run around with the jar and we try to capture it. Capture it. Capture it. And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to realize that it is a futile exercise. Because James says that you cannot capture this thing. And then he says to him, like, you're, you're boasting in your arrogance. Those of us who believe that we can go to this town or that town. And he was speaking to businessmen and women in his church. And he was saying, hey, listen, you guys have this idea, this philosophy that you control everything. That when you walk out of your door, you've got everything ordered. So you're saying, I'm going to go to this town and that town. And I'm going to make money. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. And I'm going to become insta-famous. And everybody's going to love me on Facebook. You've got all of these plans. But I just need you to know you cannot capture a cloud. You can't do it. And so what we need to do is we need to reorient our minds and our hearts if we're going to walk this thing called life out. Because I don't know about you, but I'm done trying to capture my cloud. But rather what James is submitting, check this out, this is what's beautiful is that the clouds go where God wills. Have you ever sat back on a beautiful spring, summer, fall? Come on, it's fall in Utah, at least in the mornings. It's fall in Utah. In the afternoons, it's, it's still bad. But how many of you know, like, I don't know about you, but I love this state that we live in. And September time when it's just 75 and sunny outside in the afternoon and a cool, crisp autumn chill in the morning. And I don't know about you, but I've done this multiple times since living here, is I will go lay out on my front lawn and I will watch the clouds go by. Have you ever done that before? And you can see turtles (laughs) and pirate ships. The clouds, they fascinate me. But one of the most fascinating things about the cloud is it has no will as to where it goes. It is pushed by this invisible thing, the breeze. And I'm just wondering if we could find ourselves in the same place as the cloud, that the cloud of my life we would allow to be pushed by the breeze of God's grace and purpose. That at the end of the day, we've gotta stop trying to capture the cloud and we've gotta go where God wills us. We gotta go where God moves us. We gotta be where God needs us to be. I am just a cloud caught up in his movement. So we got to stop capturing or trying to capture the clouds. And so in light of this truth, 
we should all be interested in trying to figure out then, okay, how do we, how do we negotiate this? How do, how do we do this then? And I want to submit to us today that it, it's going to require us assimilating a new, a new way or a new pattern for life. And that's what I want to take a look at today. We're going to, and I'm just going to preface this right now, we're going to get as far as we can today. I, I could potentially put us on a cliffhanger for next week. Um, I've got four points, which is a recipe for disaster. Um, we are one late service away from our kids' ministry burning down the building. So they're like, if he, if he goes another minute, someone's going to lose their life. <laughs> right? <laughs> And so I'm going to just work through this, and when the, when the timer hits zero, we're going to stop and let Jesus do what he does, all right? <laughs> does that work with everybody today? All right, so here, here's the first three. Come on, help me out every shot. Number one, here's the first thing. If we're going to pattern our life, we're going to assimilate our life according to this, this new revelation, we must align our priorities with purpose. We must align our priorities with purpose. Write that down today. We must align our priorities with purpose. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through to 17 says this, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. I want us to just see the imagery here. Look carefully. How many of you would agree with me that today we have a tendency to not look so carefully about how we walk, we just walk? Right? We just kind of do Life. This is what I love about the Bible is that in the Bible, it gives us some very strong descriptors, some ways to actually do life. He didn't say just then walk, do what you want to do. No, no, he says look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen to this pointed and truthful quote that has really rocked me as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus. It says this, it has been said that obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. This is true. God does not reveal his will to the curious or the careless, but to those who are ready and willing to obey him. Think about that. See, many of us come to God with this idea that he's a bad steward. Think about that. We want God to tell us his will, not because we want to obey it, but because we want him to be futuristic for us. We want him to be our Christian fortune teller. Don't we? Like, if we could just be honest in church today, it's not actually like, God, I want to know your will so I can obey it. We have a tendency to say, God, I want to know your, your will so I can decide whether I want to engage in it or not. Because if your will includes certain things, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I can do that. I actually think one of the reasons that God reveals less, to, uh, less of his will to us by way of detail is because if you knew the pain, the hardship, the frustration, the things that were involved with that, you would never choose to walk out his will. If I knew everything that was going to happen to me thus far in the course of nine years of senior pastoring this church, I would have been like, nope, real estate agent. <laughs> Which point of fact is what every pastor after they retire does. <laughs> Website's coming this week. <laughs> but, it, but isn't it true? If you knew, if we knew the details, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. 
This is why my kids ask me every single day, Mom, Dad, what are we doing today? Not because they're excited about the day. It's because they need to mitigate in their minds what it is that mom and dad are going to have them do that they don't want to do. (laughs) And we hear it. If I told them, oh, son, daughter, daughter, (laughs) they got three kids. (laughs) Beautiful children of mine, today we are going to drive to the airport, we're going to get on a plane, we're going to head to Disneyland. We're going to spend four days at Disneyland, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to throw a party for each of you just to celebrate the beauty that is you. Every person that comes is gonna be be required to give you a present, all of which are $150 above. My kids would be jumping for joy. But if I said today, you're gonna go with mom and dad to do chores. We have to go to Target. We gotta go to the grocery store. We have to get gas. Life is no fun. Come on, church. That's how we engage with God. Oh, church again. Oh. You're what? You're by. Oh. I read it two minutes the other day. And here's, here's the fallacy behind that way of living. The fallacy is this, is that we believe God's sole purpose for our life is for us to be happy. Just want to give you a theological discord. If you, if you just boil the Bible down, just boil it down, distill it. All, and like just this, his sole purpose for your life is for you to be holy. Because this side of heaven is the journey for eternity. So his purpose isn't for us to just have, that, that this is where we're getting messed up. believe that God's sole purpose for our life is happiness, then we reject every other thing that he tries to do in our life. We reject his correction. We reject conviction. We reject purpose. We reject waiting. We reject his nose. Not the, no, N-O. <laughs> no's. Because how many, come on, how many of you know that for God, his yes is just as powerful as his no? Yeah. Most of us have a tendency to think that God's goodness is seen in his yes. I would argue that God's goodness is seen in his no. Yeah. So this side of heaven we have to start realigning how we think. We must align our priorities with, with purpose. We've got to make the best use of our time. We've got to look carefully how we, we walk. So God's plan and purpose for our life above all else is, is our holiness. And, and holiness is not this God-like perfection. But we've also got to get rid of the thinking at the end of the day where we minimize this process of holiness in our, in our, in our lives to make space for our dysfunction. <laughs> no one amends that part. Because what we have a tendency to do is like, I'm not perfect, God doesn't, he doesn't need me to be perfect, yeah, but holiness is, is grace-filled daily consistency. 
and that my life is changing according to his goodness. My life is changing according to the miracle that is the cross. My life is changing because he convicts me and he challenges me and because my priorities are aligned with his purpose. And so guess what? Some of my priorities, my, my priorities, my marriage. And my marriage is not to make me happy. My marriage is to engage in his purpose. And his purpose is that we are holy. Oh, come on, church. And I have kids. My, 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 my job and, and my purpose is not just to raise these kids and hopefully they get to 18 and we can be like, peace. <laughs> that journey is about our holiness. Becoming, becoming a holier father. And my kids become holy kids. To train them and teach them in the way they should go. To point them to Jesus by way of my life. I think sometimes it can get mistaken that like the pastors, we just get up every day and we sit down with our family. Like we've got this family where like all the kids, we all come together lovingly at the table. Like our kids come up the stairs perfectly put together like the Von Trapps and they're like. (laughs) Let us read the Bible together. (laughs) I made that song up. (laughs) That wasn't in the sound of music. But, it, but that, that's, I think, like the, the idea is that we all sit down, everybody put together, and we sit down, and everybody's like, Father dearest, please read us thy scripture. No, they're fighting and yelling at each other and throwing things, and we're a hot mess because it's earlier and our eyes are still trying to get up, and we're trying to survive to get out the door with everybody living. I'm not showing them Jesus because I'm just opening the Bible and praying with them. I'm showing them Jesus because they're watching my pursuit and her pursuit of holiness daily. Not perfection. So we've got uh, to realign our priorities. We've got to stop demonizing every aspect of our, of our life. Work. No amens. Work is a part of God's plan for our lives. It makes you holy. Family is a part of God's plan for our lives. Engagement in the world around us is all a part of God's plan for our lives. The problem is when the plans of God become second to our priorities. Second to our priorities. Then like James, we believe I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Whatever I will versus what God wills. Do you see the difference? So I've got to just challenge us. What is in a realignment of our priorities look like every good and noble thing that is a priority over God's purpose becomes an idol our families can become idols our jobs can become idols our service can become idols our money can become idols that's why we do the things that we do around here we encourage you to serve and get on team why not because we need you we don't need you it's not about that Sorry, that came out really weird. <laughs> God wants you. He's, he's going to do something with you. Have you ever noticed that it's within the context of relationship that you actually got to work out the Bible? Because yeah. if we were alone on an island, just you and Wilson, <laughs> no Bible. It's not necessary. It's the context of those, those places. So he uses those 
things. We, we, we serve because it's part of our, our purpose, not being a part of a church, but being a Christ follower, to use the gifts and the things that God has put inside of us to encourage the body, to build one another up. I give not because I'm required to give. I give because it's the purpose of my resource. We look at God in this polarizing fashion. We believe that God's sole purpose is either to make us happy or horrible instead of holy. Someone needs to write this down today because some of us are struggling with the perspective. Two perspectives. God wants me happy. So you look through the lens of everything that God has to do has to make me happy. Or you reject God because you believe his sole purpose is to make you horrible. He takes everything away. He puts these boundaries on my life. He wants my money, he wants my time, he wants my, he wants my identity, he wants my sexuality, he wants Are we pushing on some things? So it's either horrible or happy, but what if there's a third way? What if it's holy, reminiscent, an image bearer? So we've got to align our priorities. We'll dig into some more of this stuff in, in, in the coming weeks. But alignment happens when we prioritize our stuff underneath his purpose. Here's, here's the really offensive word for some of us. Submission. Submission. I like to think of submission like this. Subjugating myself to his mission. To find myself sub, to find myself under his mission. Number two, come on over, shout number two. We must reframe our focus from feelings to faith. We read this scripture a couple, couple weeks back in this message, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, I thank God whom I serve as, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Every shout faith. faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. This is beautiful writing right here. This is a father to a, to a son at the, end of the, at the end of the day. And then this is why he says, so all that. I'm reminded of your faith, this beautiful faith that's not just a substance that's in you, but it's been a substance that's in your family. They watch what he says. For this reason, those things. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then this is what he says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Why is he telling this to Timothy? Because Timothy, like you and I, allowed fear to overcome what it is that God was doing inside of us. What was doing inside of him. So he said, you got to stir this gift up that's inside of you. I gave it to you. Your, your grandmother had faith. Your mama had faith. you got to have some faith. Do not allow what's happening around you to bury the thing that is in you. And so you need to stir up the thing that is in you. And can I just remind you, the thing that is in you is not your gift to play an instrument. It's not your gift to sing. It's not your gift to build a business. The gift that is inside of you when you say yes to Jesus is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying you got to stir it up within you. The Spirit of God that is in you, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, you gotta, you got to stir that up in you 
and when that's stirred, oh, then you do not have a mind that is wandering and a soul that is defeated. You got the same spirit that tells you I can keep on walking, I can keep on pushing, I can keep on believing. Someone shout, stir it up. So you got to stir up. That's what, that's what he's saying. Stir, stir it up. Shake it up. That's my daughter's dance right now. Concern for, this is a New American commentary. Concern for our hidden destiny can fill us with fear. The paralyzing power of worry can obstruct our progress. As long as there has been people, there have been soothsayers and wizards exploiting our anxieties. If prostitution is the world's oldest profession, surely fortune-telling is the second. Tell me of tomorrow is the plea of the stock market speculator, the competitive businessman, the sports forecaster, and the young couple in love. The student asks, will I graduate? The manager muses, will I be promoted? The person in the doctor's waiting room clenches his hands and asks, is it cancer or indigestion? Fear causes us to capture the cloud. And what we have to reframe is that I'm going to live my life with faith. I'm not talking about burying our heads in the sand. We've talked about this over there. You're going to see some, like there's going to be common language because we're stringing this truth together over these past four weeks. It's got to connect. I'm, we're not talking about being unwise as we heard in the last scripture. But at the end of the day, if I do nothing with my life, if I just try to capture it and keep it contained, it's just a vapor. It's gone in a moment. Do not read between the lines on this message right now and believe that I'm speaking about something that I'm not. I just want to be clear about that. What I'm speaking about is those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, allowing our faith to be buried by our desire to have it all under control. We've got to do things different. We've got to live in a different way. It's amazing how much of our time is spent fearing. From that fear, we make decisions that end up wasting the time that God has given us to operate in faith, mainly because we never take the step of faith that directs and we end up standing still because fear suspends. And the reason for this is because we give more, fee more power to feelings than we do faith. Don't we? Elijah was one such man, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 4. And it says this, that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and now he, how he'd killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so many, or so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of, the one, of, them, of one of them by this time tomorrow. So a little backstory is that Jezebel and Elijah, Ahab, did a little showdown of who was real God, like really God. And so all of their, the prophets of Baal would come and they would do these things. They would cut themselves and they would shout and they would yell and they would put on this show in order and then pray to their God. And, and Elijah's just kind of standing back and they had a little altar with some stuff. Call on your God and take care of this. 
burn it up. So they sat back and they did all of their nonsense. And then Elijah comes and he prays to God and God burns it up in a moment. And now, could you imagine being Elijah? Like you feel like you'd have the eye of the tiger behind you at this moment. <laughs> oh my God, look at what he just did. Yet Jezebel sends a letter to him and says, I'm going to kill you, fool. And this is what Elijah does. Watch what happens. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left, he left his servant there. It's like, peace out. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And this is what he says to God. After God did the miraculous right in front of his eyes, watch what he says to God. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Harvard psychologist Jerome Bruner says it this way, you're more likely to act yourself into a feeling than to feel yourself into an action. See, Elijah was operating on his feelings. I want to read this to you. I wrote this down. This was, it's an, expert, it's an excerpt from my journal. And I want you to, just want you to hear, because I, I want you to know that I'm not preaching from a place where I have this mastered. Come on, somebody. Y'all with me still? So I'm just going to give you a piece of my journal. I wrote this down. And once again, it brings me back to the same, same place. Am I operating in feelings or am I operating in my, in my faith? So I wrote this down. You know, as a leader, I know fear. We meet time and time again, and I wish, it, I wish it weren't so. I wish we were simply acquaintances. Unfortunately, we are a lot more familiar with each other than I would like. I have the daily option to acquiesce to that fear or be led by the one who said of me, I have not put that in you. But rather I've given you power, love, and self-control. All the things necessary to overcoming fear. So I need you to know, church, that I don't speak to you about this issue from the subject of not fearing. I speak to you from the subject of I've just been working to submit. My feelings, my thoughts, and my fears. This world is scary right now. Come on, can we just take a moment? Can we just say it? This world is frightening right now. We have so many decisions and so many things that we have to work. It, it is it's frightening right now. But the thing that I've discovered in faith is that this is not my home. I have not been called to be comfortable here. I am a resident alien in this place. This is not what has been prepared for me. There is a better place that God has prepared for me. And so because of that, I've just decided that we are no longer going to try to capture the cloud. Every single day, I'm going to allow the wind of His grace to push me and move me and develop me and shift me and place me where He wants me. Why? Because at the end of the day, I am at His mercy. So here's my encouragement to you as we close today. I told you we weren't going to get there. I have two more points left. 
stop trying to capture the cloud. Walk out of here today and put the jar down. Leave it at the door. Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the communion table. And if you need to, just have a little fun. Walk up to our guest, guest connection area and just be like, I'd like to fill out a guest card and leave you with my cloud.